Arise Church, Denver. Yeah, who's excited for the new series start next week? I think it's going to be really good. This is one of my favorite subjects, studying the Bible, where, where it came from, can we trust it? So if you're someone who has questions about the Bible, you should make sure you're here next Sunday for the start of that series. And if you know someone who has questions about the Bible, invite them. This is a great one to invite your friends to, to learn about the Bible, because we're going to talk about the hard questions. Where do we get this thing? Where do we get God's word? But today we are wrapping up our vision series, Seek the One. Seek the One. This is our third and final message in this series. And we're doing this vision series because it's important for us to know where we're going, to be able to see into the future the unseen. That's what vision is. And we want to have a combined vision, a united vision as a church. And I remember a few years ago, because I talk about reaching the loss, because I talk about growth, and we talk about numbers here, and we celebrate numbers, I had someone ask me, like, well, Matt, do you just want our church to be the mega church of Northeast Denver? I thought that was a good question, right? Because I was like, well, in one sense, yeah, like, mega's good, right? Mega's a big number. Mega man was cool. Okay, mega's good. Like, we, we want to grow. If, if we're commanded to grow and make disciples of all nations, we should be a growing church, reaching more people. And there aren't a lot of churches in Northeast Denver. So if we're the mega church in Northeast Denver, cool. But at the same time, I was like, well, I don't know if I want to just be another mega church. Because maybe you've had the experience, and I have. Not all mega churches are like this, but maybe you've had the experience. You go into these mega churches, and you just are one of the crowd. You go in there. Nobody knows your name. You don't know anybody. You don't talk to anybody. You can go there for months or years without ever talking to another human being, right? And you go in there, and you get your you order at the nice coffee shop, your grande macchia, caramel frappe latte, right? You get that, and you sit in your nice, comfortable seat, listen to the rock concert, get a motivational TED Talk, and leave the exact same as when you came in, right? You been there? Somebody's like, I love that kind of church. Okay, Okay, yeah, that, that, that can be the experience that a lot of us have in a megachurch. And not all are like that. There's some amazing megachurches. But I saw that, I'm like, if that's the megachurch of Northeast Denver, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a church where hundreds or thousands of people come in to just consume. To just come in, what do I have for me today? What can I take? Because that's not what it's about. And yes, we should receive. Yes, we should consume. We should feast on the word of God. And yet... Our mission is to go out and help others follow Jesus. And I want to be a church, whether it's 200 people or 2,000 people, that all takes that mission seriously. That whether we're 200 or 2,000, we are that many people committed to seeking after the one. That we realize, hey, we can't save everybody, but maybe I could do go for one person and help them follow Jesus. That's my personal mission because it's our mission. And then we'd be a church not of consumers, but of contributors. That we're not just being served, but going out to serve. Not just being loved, but going out to love the lost. That's the kind of church I want to be. I don't care how big it is. I just want to be that focused as a church. And I think that's why this vision series is so important for us. So that we can see this. In in this vision series, we've unleashed this phrase, seek the one. So that with those three words, we can really see who we are as a church and where we're going. And it started in week one of this series with the, the basic idea that God seeks us first. That God seeks us, that he loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, he died for the ungodly. So God seeks us first. And Jesus told the parable of the shepherd, who represents God, who has 99 sheep, but leaves the 99 to seek the one sheep who is lost. 
That's what God does for each one of us. He comes after us individually to love us, invite us back, and then then as the shepherd picks up that sheep, puts it on his shoulders, and carries the sheep all the way home. So the seek the one means that God seeks us first. Then the second component of this phrase means that we turn around and seek him. We seek the one. We worship him. We put him first and foremost in our lives. And we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we put him first so that we prioritize everything in our lives around him and obedience to him and his word. We seek the one as a church. We come in passionately every single week to worship him so that we can go out and put him first in every aspect of our lives. We want to be the church that seeks the one vertically as well. And then the third component is the one we're focusing on this morning. And that is we go out then to seek others. That there are people around us who are wandering, who are lost who are the one that we need to go after, to love, to seek for, to put them on our shoulders and carry them home. And that's what we mean every time we are going to be saying, seek the one, or we wear our t-shirts. We get the gray t-shirts if you volunteer, you get a free one. If you want the black one, they're 20 bucks out in the lobby if you're here in person. And there's free stickers, okay? Take as many stickers as you want, put them everywhere. I got one on my computer, put them everywhere, okay? Stickers are free. But that's what we're going to be about, seek the one, those three components. So today, we're going to focus on the third one, which is that we go out to seek others. And I've titled this message, Seeking the Wanderers, Seeking Wanderers. And we're going to look in the, in the book of James, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open with me to James 5. These are the very last two verses of this letter. And if you have a smartphone, you can pull out your smartphone if you use the YouVersion Bible app you can find um, the event on the bottom right-hand corner, and then you can search for Rise Church Denver. You can see all the scripture and take notes and see our points right there. Save that right in the app itself. So in James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, I want to read this passage together. James writes, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. It's a good word, huh? So in case you didn't know, this is James, one of Jesus' brothers. Okay, this is a pretty amazing thing. We're told in the Gospels that Jesus' brothers thought Jesus was crazy when he was alive. He was going around and teaching people, and people were calling him the Messiah, and they're like, oh my gosh, he's crazy. We grew up with this guy. How many in here it w- would say, oh, yeah, my brother or sister is the Messiah. I'll worship them. Like, no, <laughs> I've seen what they've done. I know the truth. And that's what they thought. They thought Jesus was crazy, including James. And yet, when Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead three days later, they're like, well, maybe he knows a thing or two. And James actually became, began to believe in Jesus, followed him as his Lord and Savior, and then became a leader in the church and wrote one of the books we have in our New Testament. That's pretty cool, huh? That's how James turned to take the words of Jesus now, and he's teaching the early church. And this is a great letter. It's a powerful, very practical letter in the Bible. And he ends this way with really an encouragement, pushing people out to go and seek the wanderers. This is kind of the ending. He's like, the last thing I want to leave you with is this, to seek others. And we're going to learn from him three different ways that we need to do that. How do we seek the wanderers? So James is going to give us three different ways that we should seek the wanderers. And the first one, and this is important, guys. Listen up. Take notes. You can't seek all, but you can 
seek one. You can't seek all, but you can seek one. Some of us get overwhelmed with the thought of, oh my gosh, there's so many people around us who are lost. There's so many people who are wandering. In a five-mile radius of this church, there are 350,000 men, women, and children who are unchurched and don't know Jesus. That is overwhelming. There are entire nations that don't have 350,000 people in them. And yet, in our vicinity, within five miles of this church, there are 350,000 people who don't know Jesus. That's overwhelming. That's overwhelming to think about reaching all of those. So, So that causes a lot of us to freeze. But we don't have to seek all of them. We have to just seek the one. We're reminded again, just focus on one. Just go after one. Even God the Father left the 99 to go after the one. So James says, chapter 5, 19, he says, My brothers and sisters, if one, doesn't he say that? How many? One. If one of you should wander from the truth, and some one should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner, that's one, a sinner from the error of their wave will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Just a reminder, just just seek after one person who's wandering, one person who's lost, one person who's unchurched, one person who you don't know where they are spiritually. Just go after the one. Seek that one. And that's such an important reminder to us because a lot of us, if we do want to follow Jesus, we think in big numbers. We like big numbers. We like crowds. When we lead a Bible study, we want a bunch of people there so we feel better about ourselves, right? But we do this. When we help with the ministry, you want to make sure there's a lot of kids in the kids' classroom that you're serving in. You want to make it worth your while. But let me tell you, one person is worth your while. One soul is worth it. I learned this lesson in my first year as a pastor. If you don't know, right when I finished up seminary, Melissa and I went to Nebraska in the middle of nowhere. Yes, it was. Right in the center of our country in a town that had less people than my high school had students, Okay. And it was this old church, and with slight exaggeration, it was 60 people over 60. Slight exaggeration is there was actually 59. And there was one couple that was under 60 or under 40 that was around our age. So we were like, okay, we went there. God called us there, and I went to serve in this church. And I remember that one couple that was under 40 because after six months, they told us that they were moving to Alaska. Like, you can't make that up, right? And I'm like, great. I'm like, why are we doing this? So I remember like crying out to God, like, God, just give us friends, right? That was the prayer. Give us friends that are around our age. We love people that are older than us, but we need some friends our age. I was 24, and we just prayed for that. And God finally gave us a few people that were our age. So I'm like, great, now I'm going to make a difference. So I started a young men's Bible study. Invited every single young man I had met in the entire area, right? And invited him to this Bible study. And the first week, we had several guys show up, and I'm like, yes, making a difference. This is cool. This is why I'm here. But then week two, only one guy showed up. Only one guy showed up. David was there. And I had prepared a Bible study. I spent so much time on this Bible study. It was the best Bible study I'd ever prepared. And he got there, all my notes, and I just ignored him. I was like, okay, who cares? And my mind was completely somewhere else because I was like, what am I doing here wasting my time on one person? Why did God call me to the middle of nowhere? Why do we have to leave Colorado to, to live here so I could talk to one person. I didn't go over the Bible study. We just talked about who knows what. I don't remember a thing we talked about. But after about an hour of talking, it dawned on me that this man, David, wasn't a follower of Jesus. So I started talking with him about it. And we, we talked about what it means to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and where that is in the Bible. And then I asked him, like, well, do you want to f- follow Jesus? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. 
like, what did we just talk about the last hour that led you here? But God was working in his heart. So I, I gave him, I'm like, well, could you repeat this prayer after me? It's the simple prayer that we do every week here, right? Like, this simple prayer, it's not magical, but you can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and begin to follow him and find eternal life. And he's like, okay. He repeated after me. And what's even more amazing is that David, unprompted, began to pray that his wife would also believe. And I was like, whoa, he's already getting it. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. And what's amazing is that I was able to baptize David soon thereafter. And then his wife came to Christ, and then his wife, too, got baptized. And it was amazing. And now, 10 years later, David and Sonny and their three kids are still a part of that church, and David is a leader in the church. Because one guy, who cares if the crowd doesn't show up? Who cares about the numbers? Because it takes one person, one person. God died on the cross through Jesus Christ to save one person, to seek the one. And how could we not then value every single one around us? Who cares about the numbers? We're about the one. And when we do celebrate the numbers here, because we do, don't we? We celebrated. This was our, our biggest year when it came to outreach. I don't, I don't know if you knew about this. We had almost 100, I think 48 people over the last year uh, during our fiscal year declare that, they, that Jesus is their Lord and Savior and indicate that to us. That's incredible. That's our most ever by a long shot. We had 26 people go public with their faith. That's our most ever. Like We celebrate those numbers. Do you know why? Because every number has a name, and every name has a story, and every story deserves a sequel. Okay? Because it's one. It's 26 ones who went public with their faith. That's why we care about the one. You don't need to seek all. You don't need to seek the crowd. You don't need a ton of people. You just need one person. And let me tell you that one person is significant. And you'll never know what God is going to do in their life. Seek the one. Seek the one. So that's our first point. You guys got that? We're not about the all. We're about, not about the crowd. We're about the one. That's what it means to seek the one. The second point that I want you to learn from how to seek the one is that you can't seek wanderers passively. You can't seek wanderers passively. If somebody's wandered away and lost, you can't just wait for them to find their way back. To seek the one means to leave where you are and go. I almost titled this point, to seek the one, get off your duff. Okay? So you can put that as the subtitle for this point. You gotta move. You gotta act. You gotta go after the person. James says in verse 19, Let's look at this again. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, should wander astray from the truth, and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way. I highlighted error of their way as well because that's actually the same word as wander in verse 19. They're wandering on the way, right? You guys see that? It's the same word. And it happens to be the exact same word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, when he said, what do you think if a man owes a hundred sheep and one of them, what? I didn't hear you. Wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills to go look for that one that wandered off? Same word. The wandering sheep. It's almost like James is like, hey, my, remember when my brother Jesus said that? We need to go after the wanderer. And the wandering sheep means you leave the 99 to go and look for and search for and find the one who's maybe wandered a long way off. But you can't do that passively. You can't just stay still and hope that it comes back. 
We have to leave. We have to move. We have to go. We have our, our three kids now that are all five and under with the, with the twins that are two. And we, we got them all um, those loveys. You guys know loveys? Like a stuffed animal head and then a little blanket for the body. You guys seen these things? We got them each their own one. There's a lammy, there's a lion, and there's a, a bunny. We got the bun bun. We got these three loveys. And we had this brilliant idea because they, they go missing all the time and lost them. And one was actually my total fault, and it was really bad. Like, breakdown, crying, it was terrible. And the kid was sad too, okay? <laughs> now, it, it, it gets bad when, when one of these loveys is missing. So we got this brilliant idea. We're going to buy them each a backup lovey, right? So that we just have it. In case you lose one, you can just get out the back. It's okay. Because we have lost these things on, like, the side of the road, I've driven around like Central Park looking for these things. You know, like, it, it's crazy. So we, we had the brilliant idea to get them backup ones. But then we made the terrible mistake of giving them the backup ones for Christmas. Because now they want two loveys, okay? Now they got their two bun buns, their two lines, their two. So they got to have all, both of them everywhere they go and every night to go to sleep. We're like, oh, why do we do that? It, like, defeated the purpose. Now it's even harder to find two of them if you want a nap, Okay. But my kids, they break down, they cry, and we have had to teach them, because you have to learn this at some point, because when they first find out their, their lovey's gone, they just fall on the ground and cry, it's lost forever, right? Well, have you looked anywhere? No, it's gone forever. Like, okay, no, no, no. We got to get up and look for it, right? So I take them with me, and we go throughout the whole house, looking in doors, looking in closets, going out to the car, however long it takes, go two or three times until we find those things. Right? But a kid has to learn to find the lost lovey. And in the same way, we have to learn to get up off our duff and seek after the lost people. You can't just expect them to come to you and wait for them to come back. And sadly, too often we do this. Like, God, you know, do something. We're starting to pray for these people. Show up in their life. Just hoping that they'll know where to go when God does show up in their life. But how are they going to know unless someone seeks them, unless they know someone who loves them and cares for them and has told them about Jesus so that maybe when they do have that hard time in their life, they'll know who to be, talk to because you're there with them. We have to, to leave to go, to seek the lost. And, and I wonder if, if that's why in Romans chapter 10, there's this whole like train of salvation. This is good. In verse 13, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That sounds great. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And in verse 14, it goes on. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Guess what, guys? You are now sent to go. Feet are for movement, to go somewhere. And that's why your disgusting, gross, hairy, toe-jammed feet are beautiful if you go tell someone about Jesus. Okay? Beautiful. To leave the 99 to seek the one. We've got to go. And I think a lot of Christians have gotten mixed up on this because of the story of the prodigal son. Beautiful, powerful story. It's actually in the same chapter where Jesus tells the story of the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one sheep. 
because it's a story about the son who leaves his father and goes out and, and wasteful, sinful living, and he comes to this point in his life where he's eating the same food that the pigs are eating. He's so poor that he's like, I wish I could just go back home and be a servant to my dad because then I'd eat better than I am now. So he comes to his lowest point and then decides to go back. So people read that and think, ah, aha, people need to get to their lowest point and then they'll know what to do. But until then, too bad for them. But it's really interesting because in that story, Jesus tells about the father. Now, we're not told the age of the father, but I wonder if the father is too old to go out looking for the son. But even still, he is sitting on his porch waiting and looking for that son. And when the son finally comes to his senses and starts coming back, the father sees the son and rolls up his, his robe and he starts running. He starts moving, even though it was like a shameful thing for, for grown men to run in those days. But he's running after his son. And, and he picks up his son and puts him in a bear hug. And before his son can even say one word of apology, the father says, my son who was lost is now found, who was dead is now alive. Let's throw a party. And the son's like, uh, okay. Because the father ran out to grab him, to find him and bring him home. And also on top of that, if you read the context of that story, Jesus is talking to the religious Pharisees, and he tells these three parables. We went over this last summer. You can go find the message called Come Home. But Jesus tells these three parables first about the shepherd with 99 sheep, and one is lost, and the sheep leaves to seek the one. Then he says this woman has 10 coins and loses one of them and searches everywhere, scouring the house to find the one coin. But then there's one lost son out of two. And the older brother never went out to seek after the lost son. And it kind of ends on a cliffhanger because the older brother's pouting in the corner. Doesn't want to come into the party. It's not fair. And I think Jesus is telling that story because the Pharisees, the religious leaders who knew God, were the ones who were supposed to go after the sinners. And there they were sitting on their dust doing nothing. See, we are supposed to seek the one, to leave the lost. And that means it has to be active. We have to move. We have to be in people's lives. Have the relationship with them. Even if it's just picking up your phone and using your thumbs. You're moving, right? You're sending a text. You're taking our Bible series link and you're texting it to people, okay? I want to see that on Instagram stories this afternoon, okay? As you're inviting people, say, hey, you should come check out this series. I know you have questions about the Bible. You should come. You're inviting them. You're asking them. You're there for them. So when they go through a hard time, you're at their side. You call them on the phone. I'm so sorry. Can I come over and bring you something? When they have someone in their life that dies, you're there at their side to comfort them and pray for them. So that when they go to that lowest moment, they know exactly where to go. And you can invite them back home. We've got to go. We've got to seek. And you can't seek wanderers passively. You've got to be active got to move towards them. So that's our second point. Our third one. Our third one is that you can't let go of grace or truth. If you want to seek the lost and see them be found, you must hold firmly to both the grace of God and the truth of God. You hold both of them equally. 
And this is a really hard thing to do. We did a whole series on this because this is important for us as a church. Back in 2018, we did a series called Where Grace and Truth Collide. And I brought a, a rope up here and we did tug of war because too often Christians choose one or the other. They lean towards one or the other. They want to be grace-filled. They want to be loving and kind and accept people the way they are. And, and, and then when it comes to telling them, well, you're doing really stupid, foolish things and falling into sin and you're, you're choosing sin, it's a terrible life. You don't say that kind of stuff because you don't want to hurt their feelings. We lean too much on grace and let go of truth. But then there are other Christians who will pull way too hard on truth, and they're like, you're stupid, you're going to hell if you keep at it. There's no love, it's only judgmentalism, and it's harsh, and it's mean. Let go of the grace on the other side. But we as Christians are called to hold both those sides in tension, and it is a tension. It is hard. It is hard in your own life to know is this too much grace? Is this too much truth? Am I holding it at the same time? How can I tell someone, yeah, you're sinning, you're doing what's wrong and, and breaking God's law and he's mad at you and he loves you so much. So come because I love you too. I don't, I don't care what you did. I still love you. That, that's the truth. You're holding both those at the same time. And guess what? It's a tension because other people around you are, are gonna look at you when you talk about the truth and they're gonna think you're mean and judgmental and awful. Even though you're loving those people, having them over for dinner, you care about them, and you will spend tons of time with them. But then other religious people will look at you and say, oh my gosh, you're way too grace-filled. How could you spend time with a sinner like that? Are you condoning their bad behavior? We as Christians are going to take some pot shots from both sides because we're holding grace and truth in tension. 100% of grace, 100% of truth at the same time, and it is hard to do it, but we are called to do it. Look at even in this passage here. In this passage, it says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, there is truth. No matter what your professors told you, there is absolute truth. It's tr there's, there's true. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. There is truth. And someone should bring that person back. And in verse 20, it says, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This verse is not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. Meaning you will have a worse life now and eternal condemnation apart from God. It's talking about hell. And even me just mentioning that word makes some of you want to get up and run out. Some of you are turning off the stream right now. Don't. Because, just the, you, because you don't like the reality of hell doesn't mean it's not real. And doesn't mean that people who have wandered away from God and chosen to live a life of sin, declaring that God isn't their God, that they are God, because that's what we do every time we don't follow what God says. We're making ourselves to be God. And there is a hell that awaits all people who do that. It is a scary thing, the truth. Because there are many people who will fall into death. Many, Jesus said. The few find the way to eternal life, and many find the path to hell. And Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the entire Bible. He talked about it as a place of gnashing of teeth, of weeping, of torment, where the fire never dies. It doesn't sound pleasant. It is not a fun truth to talk about, but James includes it. Because if you let someone continue in their sin... And just say, oh, it's just a mistake. Everybody messes up. It's just because of the way your mom treated you. Oh, it's just, just the way you are. You know, no, if we say that, pe 
people could be going towards an eternal death apart from God. And hell is hot, and eternity is a long time. And that truth needs to be held tightly so that we can hold the grace 100% tightly because the grace in this passage says that there is a way to save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. It doesn't just say they've messed up once or twice, that they were mean to their kids or were a jerk to the person at the Starbucks drive-thru, okay? This means a multitude of sins, many sins. This person has done wrong again and again and again, and guess what? There is still grace and forgiveness for them. There is still love for them. And the person who's wandering, we need to go seek after them. That's the grace. Say, I don't care what you've done. I love you. And I want what's best for you. And I care about you. And I'll be at your side. And even when you sin again and do the dumb thing again and again, I will be there to keep loving you and encouraging you. I'm not going to be judgmental. I'm going to tell you the truth. But I'm going to love you more than anybody else will. And that's what we have to do if we want to help people follow Jesus and seek the one. I tell you this because if you lean to one side or the other, you will not help people the way you could if you held both. That's what we have to do. And we really have to do this with baby Christians. The grace thing is hard. Let me tell you this. If you've been a Christian for a while, it is hard to be with baby Christians because they don't know anything. And if you've ever had a baby, and I've had a few now, you know that babies are kind of messy. They poop a lot. You got to clean them up. Then they get food everywhere. Then they get poop everywhere. Okay, and then you got to clean them up again. And they don't clean up after themselves. And then you got to teach them how to eat so they don't get food everywhere. And I'm still working on that one. Okay? And then you got to teach them so they don't poop everywhere, right? you got to teach them how to wipe and then to wash their hands. It's messy to teach a kid all the things they have to learn so that they can eventually be on their own, right? It takes a while. Well, with helping someone who's a baby Christian or new to faith or coming to church for the first time, they are going to be doing dumb things. They're going to sin again, and sometimes they won't even know that they're doing something wrong. And they'll be a jerk, and then somebody else will be like, how could you spend time with that person? And you're like, ah, I have to, because I love them. I've got to have the grace, right? We've got to hold the grace and the truth if you want to raise a kid or if you want to raise a Christian. So holding grace and truth 100% is our third point. And let me tell you, this is difficult. And I think that's why Jesus used that parable of the shepherd picking up the sheep on his shoulders and carrying the sheep home. That's hard. And in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says in verses 1 and 2, he says, Brothers and sisters, what if someone is caught in a sin? Then you who live by the Spirit should correct that person. Do it in a gentle way. That's the grace, right? Do it gently. Then he says, carry one another's heavy loads. If you do, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is our law, that Jesus died for us. He carried us on his shoulders. How could we then not go out and carry other people's heavy loads? That's what it takes. When you tell someone that they're in sin, you help them get to the point where they're living in the truth again. You bring the wanderer back. We've got to carry people up. And I need a couple um, volunteers to help me with this. So I'll tell you, you're coming up here. Nick, you're always in the front row. You're always my volunteer. Nick, come on up. Okay, we did this with the youth group a few, few weeks ago when I was there. Okay, which one of you wants to pick up the other on your shoulders? Altair, okay, Altair's in. So Altair, uh, I want you to just pick up Nick on your shoulders, okay? 
Yeah, look at that. Okay, now I want you to carry him all the way home. I'm kidding, okay. Okay, you can put, put him down. Okay. Okay, Altair, how was that? It was pretty heavy. Was pretty heavy. He's a solid guy. <laughs> a solid guy. Did, how did it feel? Scary. Scary, it's a little scary. Was it awkward? Slightly. Slightly, Slightly awkward. Okay, can we give Nick and Altair a hand? Thank you so much. For your help. Good work. Man, it is awkward. It's heavy. It's hard. But we are called to carry one another's burdens. To be like the shepherd who picks people up on our shoulders. Carry them home. Because Jesus did it for us. To seek the one. And let me tell you, it, it, Jesus says when he tells that parable in Luke chapter 15, that the shepherd does that joyfully. He is happy to do it. And I'll remember... You know, with David uh, in Nebraska, I got to know him pretty well. We would work out together. We'd pray together. We'd read the Bible together. We started memorizing scripture together. We got even a few more guys. There were a few more young guys that started coming to our group. And, and um, I'll never remember, I'll never forget, a few years later, I was preaching through the letter of James. I preached through the whole book, and we got to this section, and I was talking about this idea of seeking after the wanderers. And I preached the message, and then I went into the back. It was one of those traditional churches where the pastor and the wife were there to shake everybody's hand. You had to go through the line, right? And David came through the line, and he shook my hand, and he said, Man, thanks for seeking after me. And it moved me. It filled me with so much joy to know I had made a difference in his life, and now he's making a difference in his kids' life, and in other men's lives, and in their church's life. It was worth it to seek the one. Who cares about the crowd, right? We seek the one, and that's the kind of church I want to be. We seek the one. We find those wanderers, and we bring them home. And and our vision statement, our goal here, is to be a thousand strong who seek the one. Because that's an army, right? That's unleashed. If we had a thousand men, women, teenage children who are like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to seek after my one. And you're like, oh, we're only changing one life. Yeah, times a thousand. That's what we want to do. And, and we've asked people to take this commitment. And we've had um, almost 150 people so far. And there's a bunch more last service, so I haven't, I haven't gotten a count. Take this commitment. It's going to take us years to get a thousand, isn't it? We're not all going to be able to fit in this one space to get a thousand. But we're going to keep at it. Because we want to be that church who seeks the one. So if you reach under your seats right now, a lot of you have already done this throughout this series, but if you haven't, I want you to reach under your seat, and there's a card for this Seek the One series. And on this card, it asks for your name that you should write, and then it asks for your email address. We want you to write that down just so we can encourage you through this this process, because we're going to be talking about Seek the One, obviously, for a lot of years, right? We're going to be doing it. And then... um, it says your one. So who's the one person that you're going to seek after? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Is it a neighbor? Is it someone you work out with? And then you can say something that we could pray for them so we can be joining with you to pray. Because even though we're all on this mission on our own, we're on this mission together to seek the one. And if you fill out that card, if you want to be part of our thousand strong who seek the one, I want you in just a minute, I'll give you a, a, you know, a call that you can come up here and take a magnet and put it on here. Look, I already got an example. Thank you. Let's give a hand right here. But there are some magnets in these baskets, and I want you to take the card and put it up there in just a minute. So let's pray together. And if you're online, you can fill out that card as well. Lord God, um, we are so grateful that you sought us first, 
that you loved us, that you sent your own son, Jesus, to die on the cross, not just to carry us on our shoulders, but to carry the cross of our condemnation, the death and hell we deserve, you, Jesus, took it upon your shoulders to carry us home. And we are so grateful for that. And because of that love, because of that grace, we want to go out and seek others. Help us find the wanderers, love them, encourage them as long as it takes until we can bring them on our shoulders and carry them home to you. Now with heads still bowed, I want to give an opportunity because some of you maybe today had your heart stirred by the reality that God loves you. And though you deserve to go to hell, Jesus suffered hell for you. So I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just like I led David in that simple prayer 10 years ago, I want you to have the opportunity to say a prayer and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and find eternal life. All your sins will be forgiven. That Jesus' blood will cover over a multitude of your sins, past, present, and future. And in that grace, you can come home to find an even better life and eternal life ahead. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this prayer. If you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to someone who needs to pray it for the first time. So please repeat after me. Dear God, I am a sinner. I need a savior. Save me. Forgive me. Cover over a multitude of sins. In faith I declare, Jesus is Lord. Give me the gift of eternal life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life and seek the wanderer in my life. Now with eyes closed, we want to celebrate with you. If you made that decision today, if today Jesus is your Lord and Savior, we want to just celebrate with you because we're excited. It makes us happy. It makes me really happy. So on the count of three, could you lift your hand high up in the air so we can celebrate? Nobody's looking around. Your eyes are closed. So one, two, three. Put that hand in the air. Let's celebrate. Praise God. Woo! Yeah. Let's celebrate together. Lord Jesus, we come to you, the one who sought us first. And we are so grateful that you covered over a multitude of our sins. Because of that, Lord God, we seek you. And we will follow where you lead us. And we will go where you say to go. And help those who are wandering come back into the fold of God. Lord, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you have one of those cards, now's the time to come forward and put them on this medal here. And we're going to stand together and we're going to sing this song. If you need prayer for anything, we're going to have the prayer team in the back and we'll be praying for you.